Matthew 23, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask now that you take your word and do a work in us. We ask that you take your word, encourage, equip, comfort, Provoke thought and transform us into your image. God, we thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Daddy doesn't have to eat his vegetables, so why should I? I've been planning my response to this question for years. Think, think. It's pretty simple, actually. Well, Daddy makes the vegetables. Think. Not only does Daddy make the vegetables, he makes it possible that we have vegetables. Not only that, but... I mean, Daddy's a picture of health. He doesn't need vegetables. See, when you grow up to Daddy's stature, you can decide for yourself if you want vegetables. How do you think that's going to work? I think I've got a good plan thing. Right? I mean, that's going to lay the groundwork. I'm sure that I can continue my path of no vegetables. Or maybe not. The response is probably going to continue to be, well, Daddy doesn't have to eat his vegetables. Why do I? None of us respond really well when someone asks something of us when they themselves are unwilling to do it. Most people in society across, across the broad culture, nobody likes to be told something that the person giving the instruction is unwilling to do themselves. And then take it one step further, most people, I would argue everybody, does not like a faith. They don't like someone that gives instruction and then actually does the opposite. Jesus and culture actually have something in common. Neither like hypocrisy. Neither like 
fakes. Everybody likes consistency. Everybody likes authenticity. When, when you're receiving instruction from someone, you know that that someone is trying their best to do the exact same thing. This morning, we get a clear call from Jesus that Jesus is after consistency. That Jesus is basically after consistent practitioners of his word. And as we seek to understand the call of Jesus on our lives, we get, a, we get a little bit of a message here from Jesus this morning. One, really clarifying that which he is against. But in doing that, he clarifies that which he is for. And this morning, Matthew chapter 23, there's a danger to this text. And actually, this is the way the text is usually preached in our culture is very dangerous. Because Matthew 23 is a popular text. Because right now, Christians in the world are viewed as hypocrites. We're preaching one thing and doing other things. And so basically now they go to Matthew 23 and a pastor reads Matthew 23 and then finishes by saying, that's right, the world is right. We are hypocrites. So what we need to do is we need to get our act in order and focus just on good deeds. Everybody, just stop talking and start doing good works. Okay, is the text saying we need to get our actions in line? Yes. But the danger is the text is not saying, hey, Stop preaching and just start practicing. So, for example, right now in Christian circles, there's a bumper sticker and T-shirts that are going around with a famous saying from St. Francis of Assisi. Thing It says, share the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Right? I mean, it sounds great, right? And some of us have probably used this phrase before. We're trying to motivate people to do good things, and, and we want people to recognize that we are followers of Christ by our actions. However... There's a serious misunderstanding in that statement that we can share the gospel without words. According to Jesus, actually, in the New Testament, it's impossible. You cannot win someone to the faith through simple actions. People come to faith through hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So, should there be good works practiced? Yes, absolutely. But at the exact same time, there should be proclamation. What Jesus is after when he's attacking the religious leaders in our passage this morning, he's after people that are, have practice that is consistent with their proclamation. The what-if question for us today is, what if our practice was consistent with our preaching? What if that which we did day to day matched up with that which we proclaimed on Sundays or that which we put in our statements of faith? Jesus is looking for consistency. And I would argue that society is looking for consistency, authenticity, real, where it's not say one thing and do another. So this morning, I'm coming from the perspective, I'm thinking that everybody in here would want to be consistent, that, that everybody's heart in here is saying, yeah, I do want to be that consistent. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a hypocrite today. Think. Nobody wakes up and says that we want to be consistent. So what is it that would help us develop that consistent life, to be a consistent practitioner of God's word? We're going to turn and try and understand what Jesus is saying here to help us understand the mindset that we need to develop. Let's look here at Matthew 23 in his first interaction, verses 1 through 12. So we turn here. Jesus is interacting with the religious leaders. Notice right away what he says. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you. Now, this is critical. Jesus is not saying, hey, everyone, forget obeying the leaders. They're out in right field. 
Jesus is actually saying, hey, you have to obey the teaching even though the messenger is failing. It's because the teaching, the message, is not coming from the Pharisees. They're revelation of God's law, Moses' seat. So in our culture today, if you get confronted by someone, what's our first response? Well, you, who are you to tell me to be more honest? I mean, did you feel, see the way you filled out your timesheet last? So the message someone is giving us is what? Dependent upon what? The integrity of the message giver. Jesus is elevating it here. He's saying the law, God's, God's word, is not dependent upon the messenger. Today, the church in America could be completely unfaithful. You and I as individuals could be completely unfaithful. That doesn't change God's word at all. God's word, truth, still stands in the exact same place. So we might get up in front and say, well, well God, I mean, our leaders were out of control and we didn't... We didn't know what was going on, so we just joined in with them. That's not a legitimate excuse in the eyes of God thing. We still have to what? Obey the revelation that's given in God's word, even if the practice of it is not taking place. But Jesus is seeking more than that. He's not just seeking the practice of it. Now he's saying, okay, you are preaching it, so make sure the practice matches it. And what's the mindset that will produce this? Let's see what the mindset is in the religious leaders that's producing hypocrisy. Let's look at the mindset here, beginning, beginning in verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. The mindset basically of, well, they can handle, the, with the, the little ones can handle this for us. Think. We're, we're, we're above that type of activity. Think. They need to follow these certain rules. We are, we're pure enough or we don't fall under the same regulations anymore. So kind of a, a mindset of superiority thing. But not just superiority. Look what goes on next. Verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Their mindset is one of, ah, oh, everything we do, we need to get honor and praise in return. You can basically summarize the mindset of the religious leaders by saying they are human-centered. In other words, these religious leaders have never graduated from middle school. What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in middle school? Are they going to like me still today? I've, oh, Mom bought me this t-shirt, and it's the only one clean, and I have to wear it. Are they still going to like me? You go through all of middle school, that question dominates your thinking. That question determines the jokes that you tell. That question determines the clothing that you're willing to wear. Are they going to like me? Why do you, we all want people to like us, right? I mean, who wakes up saying, I want everybody at work to curse at me today? Think. We all want people to like us. Well, this is, the, this is the issue with the religious leaders. They're so human-centered. Everything they do is to get people to like them or to get people to honor them, to revere them. They want their good works to be seen. So it gives this example of these things that they wear. They're from the Old Testament, things that they wear, and it says they make them extra large so that they're seen. Then people will know, oh, hey, some religious people, let's give them their honor. But then it goes on, as it says here, folk just builds up the human center of where they're at. The next thing, what do they want? They want the best seats in the synagogue. They want to have the place of honor at the feast. In other words, they're looking for honor from other human beings. John chapter 12 summarizes it this way a little bit. Jesus is talking, he says, you live for the praise of humans more than the praise of God. 
That's exactly what's happening here with the religious leaders. They want the praise of other, human, of other humans. They want other people to lift them up and honor them. And in the midst of seeking the honor of others, they've missed the boat of honoring God. They have a human-centered mindset. Everything revolves, how can it be about me? How can I get more honor? In other words, the religious leaders are basically saying, look at me, look at me. That mindset is what? Going to create hypocrisy. Because the message we're proclaiming is not ours. We're proclaiming another person's message, Jesus' message. Therefore, it's not a call to look at us, but rather to look at the message that we are proclaiming. So the mindset is not one of human-centered, but rather, if we want to create a life of consistency, we have to create a God-centered mindset. And I know you're, you're thinking, well, obviously, Pastor, thing. I mean, yes, we need to be about God more than about people. But the reality is, on a very functional level, this is a challenge for us. I would argue that the majority of us have never graduated from middle school. We want people to like us. We want people to have good perceptions of us. So, for example, some people we don't necessarily care if they like us. We don't need them to be friends with us. But we definitely care how they perceive us. Even someone we don't like, we don't want them to perceive us. That's that wild kind of goofy religious guy, isn't it? So we're very attentive to the way that other people perceive us. And that, that can drive the way we interact with others. That can drive the way we act. The moment we do that, we've placed, we've placed someone else besides God on the throne. We can say God is God, but functionally in our lives, someone else is playing God because we're doing everything to please them, or we're doing everything to please this cultural ideal. Jesus is calling us to a different mindset, not a human-centered mindset, but a God-centered mindset. And I would argue this morning, there's really two things that have to take place for us to have a God-centered mindset. The first is this, we need to get put in our place. We need to be reminded that we are not king of the hill. John the Baptist, one of the most famous religious leaders in the Bible, he gathered huge crowds. And as huge crowds gathered around him, he had quite a movement. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, John the Baptist said, here he is, the Lamb of God. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. That's John the Baptist, who you could argue is the most powerful and influential prophet that was to come to announce the Messiah. I mean, he's big time. What does he say? He's not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. Because when you compare ourselves to the greatness of Jesus, we get put in our proper place as created human beings in need of a Savior. We need to get put in our place and reminded that everything we have is from God, life itself, and that everything in life is from God. Life tomorrow depends upon God. Now, again, you're saying, well, obviously, get past the thing. We just don't want that soak in enough. Literally, I cannot determine if I live tomorrow. God, I'm dependent upon air. I'm dependent on things external, outside of me, for life. we got to put in our place. We are not God. And this is the central problem of the Bible, is pride. That you and I put ourselves on the throne, rather than allowing God to be on the throne. If we want to create a God-centered mindset, the first thing we need to do is we need to be put in our proper position. Think about an athletic team for a second. I, I grew up loving athletics and trying to play athletics, 
Believe it or not, I was the captain of the basketball team in high school thing, and I averaged like two points a game. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but you should be aware of my athletic abilities. Thanks. While I came and was playing um, basketball, I loved playing in the post, but that post means down by the hoop. They usually put bigger people down by the hoop thing. So the joke at basketball was always, I'd always ask the coach, every time we were doing this big rebounding drill, he would throw the ball at the hoop and then it'd be an all-out scramble. He only let the big guys participate. I'd always just stand next to him with an elbow and be like, put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. Thing. He never did it. Why would he never do it? Thing. It would be putting me out of place. And a coach does what? A coach puts us in a position where we can succeed. You can have a great person on an athletic team, you can have a great person in the business world, but if they're in the wrong position, outside of their giftedness, outside of their abilities, what can happen? Flounder. But you get put in the right position, what happens? They flourish. The same is true of you and I today. We've got to get put in our right position. Our right position as children of God, created beings, and we remind, remember that when we live as people dependent upon a greater authority. We can begin to flourish because we're not looking to ourselves for our strength, our hope, and our joy, but rather we're looking to our Creator for our hope, our strength, and our joy. To have a God-centered mindset, it begins by getting put in the right position. But the second part of beginning to develop a God-centered mindset is to begin to understand our connectedness to one another. Look with me here at Matthew chapter 23. It's a very small little portion in Matthew 23, verse 8. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. <laughs> Jesus is, is, in a sense, you're making an astounding statement. He's saying, okay, yes, you are sitting on Moses' seat. You are dispensing of the law. But at the end of the day, you're equal to everyone else. When everyone stands at the foot of the cross, from Billy Graham to the homeless person in the middle of Sioux Falls, South Dakota... The confession is exactly the same. I am a sinner in need of grace. There's no greater equalizer than the cross. That everybody stands at the foot of the cross on equal ground. And what Jesus is basically saying is, yes, you're going to have a functional role as, as teacher, but reality is that doesn't give you a higher position. That doesn't, you're not up on God's ladder all of a sudden. You're not in the senior vice president of the, of the Trinity or something. Everybody's in the same role as children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to remember our connectedness to one another to have a God-centered mindset. Because what happens the moment we begin to think of ourselves in comparison to others as better than others? We put ourselves on a judgment seat. We put ourselves in an authority seat over other people. And it begins to create animosities. We try to elevate our own stature. But we have to remember how we're all interconnected with one another. No one greater than another. We might have different roles. We might have different responsibilities. But at the end of the day, we all stand at the foot of the cross in need of the exact same Savior. We want to create a God-centered mindset. You've got to have a view of humanity that says we are all created in the image of God. I, I'm no better than the person who does not have Jesus. Even though they don't have Jesus today, even though they're unsaved, I'm no better. I'm still a, a sinner. I've just been redeemed by Christ. Nothing I did, but everything Jesus did. 
We've got to begin to see all of humanity as created in the image of God and we're interconnected together. And when we enter into the body of Christ, we're still all equal. Some have a greater voice due to positional authority, things like that, but at the end of the day, we're equal in need of God's forgiveness. If we want to create a God-centered mindset, we need to get put in the proper position as created human beings and we need to have an understanding that we are all interconnected together. No one above anyone else. This morning, God is calling us to a consistent life of practicing His Word, while at the exact same time, preaching His Word. Nowhere in this text does He say, well, since, since you can't practice it right, stop preaching it. He, needs, he wants the message to go on. He just wants there to be consistency with what's being spoken, with what's being lived in our lives. Many, a couple of years, it wasn't that long ago, I lived in Alden, Minnesota, in a small town over there. In Alden, Minnesota, they had a little gas station. And at this gas station, they had a, a little place in the back room, kind of the boardroom, we called it. They had a table, basically, where all the locals met for coffee and, and donuts. Well, I would go there on Saturday mornings after working at the golf course and, and pick up a, a beverage or something. Before I even walked into the gas station, before I walked into the gas station, I could tell you who was sitting where, what kind of donut they were eating, what kind of coffee they were drinking. And I could also tell you exactly what their response to me was going to be when I asked. Who's in charge today? He is. I could tell you everything. I could tell you what they were even talking about before I entered the room. You want to see consistency. This was a place of consistency. Same people, same product, same message, week after week. I thought to myself, man, when I turned 60 and 70, I hope that's not me thing. I mean, how boring thing. You're drinking the same coffee. You're talking about the same crazy dude that's walking on the street. You're sitting in the exact same spot. How boring can it possibly be? Yeah, probably boring, but consistent. This morning, that's a picture of consistency for us that we need. Because we live in a culture of roller coaster. We live in a culture that's lacking consistency. Consistent practice in one direction. In other words, consistent obedience towards Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that the latest and the greatest hop on. We're all guilty of this, right? We get excited about something. Seven days later, you would have forgotten that we were crying and laughing and getting excited about it. But Christ is calling us to consistency in practice of his word, consistency in the proclamation of his word. Jesus' harshest words are for the religious. Look throughout the whole Gospels, Jesus actually doesn't speak that harsh to the Roman authorities who execute him. Jesus' harshest words are for the religious leaders. Why? The religious leaders had been trusted with a great responsibility. They had been given the law. They had been trusted with God's word, proclaiming God's law, which would ultimately reveal the need of a Savior. To whom much is given, much is required. And he was not happy. We'll look more at that next week, the woes that he pronounces. This morning, you and I have been given a great responsibility. God has revealed to us through his word his desire for our life. 
God's got a plan for your life. It's been revealed right in Scripture. You've got a great responsibility. The question is, are we going to be faithful in fulfilling the responsibility that he's given to us? Jesus is calling us to consistent practice of his word. And the crazy thing is this. It might not be exciting. It might not be fun. It might be boring. But there is one word that's used multiple times in the New Testament and the Old Testament. A consistent life will be filled with joy. The Apostle Paul writes it in the book of Philippians multiple times in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. For those of you who have been memorizing, Philippians 3, verse 1. Can anybody help me here? Philippians 3, verse 1. How does it start? Rejoice in the Lord. Well, pastor's fired. Now you guys are not memorizing, but more than that, everybody needs to memorize Philippians 3. Anyhow, Philippians 3 starts with rejoice in the Lord. Multiple times in Philippians, it's rejoice. Paul's talking about all this joy he has. We're not looking for fun. We're not looking for popular. What we're looking for is consistent practice of God's word. And when we experience consistent practice of God's word, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves on a freight train of joy. Because what we're doing is we're removing ourselves from things that kill our joy. Impurity. Lie. Dishonesty. That stuff just kills joy. It robs God of his glory and it robs us of our joy. But today, Jesus is placing a call for us to enter into the back room of the gas station Drink the same cup of coffee, eat the same donut, week after week. Not do that. But what he is calling us to, he's calling us to a consistent life of faithfulness, honesty, love, care. And when we enter into that life, we don't have to hear the word from Jesus, whoa, but we hear the word, well done, good and faithful servant. Daddy, I don't have to eat my vegetables. You're not eating yours. My kid's probably going to be saying that for the next 15 years. Because I'm not changing. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, my, at the end of the day, my prayer is that my kid would not say 18 years from now. Well, we don't have to follow. Daddy's not following. That what our kids would see and our next generation would see is they would see consistent practice that matches up with what we are proclaiming to them on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Monday afternoons. Tuesday afternoons. Let it be said of us that we were consistent practitioners, apprentices of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you for your patience with us. We acknowledge that oftentimes, Lord, we are not consistent in our walk. We acknowledge that oftentimes we are seeking the honor and the praise of other people. We ask this morning, O Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts that you, O oh Lord, would transform our thinking and enable us to be God-centered. Enable us to center our lives on you, O oh Lord, and to seek your glory above all else. We thank you for your patience, Lord. We thank you for your kindness and extending forgiveness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.